Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians with me. Philippians is in the New Testament, and so if you'll find the four Gospels, those first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you have Acts and uh, First and Second Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So, so about midway through your New Testament, you'll find the book of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1 is where we'll spend our time this morning, the first 11 verses of Philippians. Philippians 1 verses 1 through 11 as we're, we're starting a brand new series of, of messages over the next uh, couple months. We're going to be walking through this wonderful letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And so find Philippians 1, 1 through 11, and we'll read that together in just a moment. And, and, and as you're finding that, here, here's a question I want to ask you. I, I want you to think about this. And some of you got to think really hard about this question. Think back to your childhood. For some of us, that's not so long ago. For some of us, that's a really long time ago, right? But think back to your childhood. And as you think back to your childhood, what was the most iconic vehicle, the most iconic automobile of your childhood? The one that you saw on TV a lot, the one that, that you wished you could ride in, what was it? Maybe it was, remember, the Knight Rider, Kit? Maybe it was Kit, right? Or, or maybe it was the Jetsons. Remember George Jetson and his flying car? Or maybe you didn't want to fly around in the car. Maybe you wanted to operate a car with your feet. Maybe it was Fred Flintstone riding around in his car with his feet. Whatever that most iconic car was of your childhood right now, go ahead and do it. Leave it in the comment section on our Facebook feed right now. Go ahead and type out what that most iconic car was of your childhood, that one that you wish, that you wish you could ride in. Now for me, and there's probably many of you like this, for me, the most iconic car of my childhood was the General Lee. You remember the General Lee, Dukes of Hazard? Right, Bo and Luke, they'd get in through the window and they'd ride that thing around. And, and at the end of every episode of the Dukes of Hazzard, you know what they would do, right? They would make their way over a cliff and, and, and then it would be a cliffhanger, right? No pun intended, but it would be a cliffhanger. That you'd have to wait to the next episode to see if the General Lee got to the other side of the cliff and every single time it got to the other side of the cliff. And then as a young boy, you dreamed about riding in the General Lee. Next, my next door neighbor. He had a birthday party, and, 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 and at his birthday party, someone brought a replica General Lee. And so all the neighborhood kids got to ride in a replica General Lee. I was probably eight or nine years old, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Man, it was a joy ride. Those are probably some of the best 15 minutes of my life, riding around the block in the General Lee. Now, maybe over the past few weeks, it hasn't been an iconic car, but it's been your own car, right? It's been your 2014 Chrysler Town & Country or your 1989 Honda Civic or whatever it is, but, but you've had to get out of the house because you've just been tired of seeing your four walls and you've had to take 
a joy ride, right? So for us, it was Friday night because for the last few months, all we've seen, right, has been our house and, and the church and the grocery store every now and then, but that's been about it for the last month or so. And so we took a joyride Friday night. We got in the van and we drove down to Sullivan's Island. We didn't get out of the car, but we were able just to see the ocean. It was good. It was a joyride. And let's just be honest, right now, every one of us, we need an extra dose of joy. And if you think about it, that's what Philippians is. Philippians is an absolute joyride. Because in this letter that we're going to study together over the next several weeks, Paul is full of joy. And he exudes joy in this letter that he writes to some people that he loves very much. And if you think about it, the Apostle Paul was in a situation in some ways that's similar to ours. He was quarantined. He was isolated. But it wasn't because of a virus. It was because of imprisonment. For several years now, Paul has been in prison. He has spent two years in prison in Caesarea. And when he writes this particular letter that we're going to study this morning, he'd probably been in a Roman prison maybe for a year or so. Now, when I say Roman prison, let me explain what I mean by that. Paul was under house arrest. He He was chained to Roman guards every single day, but he was in his own home. He was quarantined in his home, chained to Roman guards. And there was no Facebook Live. There was no Zoom. He couldn't have a Zoom Bible study. You can imagine the loneliness, the isolation, away from people he loved. Yet he writes this letter with so much joy and affection. And and in this letter, he challenges us in our circumstances today, in the midst of our isolation, in the midst of our quarantine, he challenges us to choose joy. You know that, don't you? You know that joy is a choice you make every single day. You can choose, right, to be discouraged. You can choose to be down in the dumps. You can choose, right, to be upset with your circumstances, or or you can choose joy. And so in the passage we're going to look at this morning for just a few moments, Paul is going to help us to understand that, 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 that we can choose joy no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. So, so take your Bibles, look at Philippians 1, 1 through 11 with me. And what I want to show you, I want to show you three ways this morning, three ways that you can choose joy. Philippians 1, 1 through 11, let me read this passage to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and, and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you that even in days like this, where there's so much uncertainty in our world, we can have real joy, joy inside of a relationship with Jesus, joy no matter what our circumstances might be. And so, Father, I pray right now for my friends who are here on campus and for my friends who are watching online today, I pray today that they would know your joy, that we don't have to live in a constant state of discouragement, a constant state of anxiety, but we can live with real lasting joy. And so I pray this morning as we study your word together in these moments that you would help us to be a people who choose joy and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you know much about the city of Philippi, but, but Philippi was a pretty significant town. It was actually settled by uh, some, some Roman soldier veterans. And it was significant, significant because it was modeled after Rome itself. The architecture was like Rome. The way they set up the city was like Rome. It was a significant city. And in this significant city, years prior to Paul writing this letter, he started a church. He led some people to the Lord. He led a lady named Lydia to the Lord. You might remember the story in Acts chapter 16. He cast a demon out of a slave girl and led her to the Lord. He was in prison in Philippi. And you remember the story about how God sent an earthquake and loosened his shackles along with his ministry partner Silas. And there in that prison, the prison guard gave his life to Jesus. Paul had some very fond memories of the church at Philippi. But it had been about 10 years. 10 years since Paul had been in Philippi. 10 years since Paul had been with those believers that he had led to faith in Jesus Christ. And 10 years since he had been with that church that he had established. And a lot had happened in 10 years. Over the course of these 10 years, Paul had been arrested. He had gone back to Jerusalem, and you remember the story because we looked at this, this very story a few months ago here at Northwood as we studied through the book of Acts together. He had gone to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he was arrested because he preached against the Jewish law, or so that was the accusation. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea and then was shipped off to Rome where now he finds himself under house arrest in Rome. And again, imagine... Imagine the isolation. Imagine the loneliness. But you know what happens? Ten years after Paul had been with the church at Philippi, they hadn't forgotten him. They hadn't forgotten about the Apostle Paul. And so, so here's what would happen. In those days when you were under house arrest, it wasn't like the Roman government would provide you with three square meals a day. It wasn't like they would provide you with even clothes to wear. You were dependent on other people to come to your aid while you were under house arrest. And so Paul was dependent upon friends and, and family members to come to his aid in Rome. And that's exactly what the church of Philippi did. They hadn't seen Paul in a long time. But they certainly hadn't forgotten about him. And think about it. Helping a criminal? Helping someone who's in jail? I mean, the shame associated with, with helping a criminal. But that didn't stop the church at Philippi. They had sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus to take a financial gift to Paul. They had ministered to Paul and, and cared for him. And in some ways, when, now when Paul writes this letter, it's a thank you note. A thank you letter for the way that the church at Philippi had not forgotten about him, but had remembered him 
and ministered to him in his time of need. And the words are beautiful, right? When, when he begins this thank you letter, look at what he says. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. Now, what's interesting to me, and, and you might want to take note of this, when, whenever you read one of Paul's letters, he often thanks God for people. Not things, right? Not material possessions, not what he has, but for people. Paul is very thankful for the people that God has placed in his life. And, and, and right here in these opening words of, of this wonderful letter, Paul says to the church at Philippi, every time I pray and I remember you, I thank God for you. I'm thankful for you. And look at what he says. Making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you might want to underline that word partnership because that word partnership is a significant word. In the, in the Greek language, it's the word koinonia. Now, you, if you're a part of a church, you might have heard that word koinonia before because in, in the English, we typically translate that word koinonia as fellowship. And, 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 and if you're a good Baptist like me, right, you grew up going to fellowships, right? You grew up going to potluck fellowships and fried chicken fellowships and all kinds of fellowships. But when Paul uses the word partnership, fellowship, koinonia, he has much more in mind than a potluck lunch, doesn't he? No, no, no. This word koinonia, I mean, it, it carries with it the connotation of this deep, abiding friendship and affection for each other. And, and, and this real koinonia, this real fellowship, what it produces is joy. And think about it. In your life, isn't it true that, that you experience the most joy when you are in relationship with God and with other people? Think about how significant your relationships are and, and how dear you hold your friends to your heart. This is Paul, right? He's saying, man, I, every time I think about you, I thank God because of our fellowship, because of our partnership our partnership then it gets very specific in the gospel right that that we've come together and 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 we have been united around what jesus christ has done for us you and i know this if you're part of a church you know how jesus unites us and inside of a relationship with jesus jesus has given us collectively together a sense of purpose and he's given us a partnership. Years ago, I was given an invitation to, to speak at, at an event. Now, honestly, if I'm real honest with you, I, I, I don't speak a lot outside of, of, of the church I pastor every Sunday. So, so when I get an opportunity to speak, I mean, I don't want to turn it down. And so, so I got this invitation to speak at an event. I got, now watch this, I got an invitation to speak at a wild game supper. Now, I need to let you know a little bit about me. I've gone hunting one time in my life. When I lived in Franklinton, Louisiana, one of my church members drug me into the woods at 5.30 in the morning, and it was cold, and it was miserable. I have no idea why anybody would want to give up their mornings. And I get it. You get to look at nature, and it's peaceful, but it's early, and it's cold. I mean, it doesn't make much sense, right? And we just sat there. I couldn't even talk to my friend while we were there because we had to be quiet because we didn't want to scare things off. And so we just sat there. And we saw nothing. And, and that was my hunting experience. That's it. And so now I have the invitation 
to speak at a wild game dinner. I mean, what do I say? What do I say to a bunch of wild game people, right? Hunters and fishermen and all those kinds of things, things that I don't do. So I, I tried to look the part. I, I went out and I bought a camo shirt that I still have. I've only worn it one time. I wore it to that particular event. I bought my camo shirt, wore, wore my camo shirt, and, and there I stood before hundreds of people. And I spoke. I don't even remember what I talked about, but I remember the whole time while I was there, I kept thinking to myself, I have nothing in common with these people. And maybe you've been around people where you felt that way. I have nothing in common with these people. But if you're a follower of Jesus, now watch this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything in common with your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. There might be places where you feel like you don't fit in. But, but here's the reality. In the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you always fit in because you are a part of a partnership, a fellowship, a koinonia. You belong. And, and that brings, my friend, joy, right? And, and this is the first way we choose joy. We choose joy by realizing that we need an unwavering partnership. You need people. You need people around you that follow Jesus and love Jesus and invest in you for the sake of the gospel. And, and so what I want to do just for a second is give you a, a very simple acronym, right? This is going to sound maybe a little bit cheesy to you, but it's really helpful to think of, right? How do you grow an unwavering partnership? How do you grow in a joyful partnership with fellow believers? J-O-Y, Jesus first, Right? I mean, that makes sense. And, and, and I think that's what we see in this letter is that, that, that Paul exalts Jesus all throughout this letter. He talks about the gospel all throughout this letter. And you know it, right? You know what happens in your relationships when Jesus is first. I bet if you're watching, you have lots of relationships. You have relationships with people who follow Jesus. You have relationships with people who don't follow Jesus. But isn't it true that those people that you have relationships with who are committed followers of Jesus, those are really the relationships that nurture your soul. Those relationships where Jesus is first. J, Jesus first. O, others focused. Now, this is what's interesting about this letter. Did you notice what Paul didn't do when he started this letter? He doesn't start off by saying, man, my life stinks. You're not going to believe how difficult it is in prison. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Because my life is really bad right now. No, he doesn't complain. He doesn't focus on his problems at all. Instead, throughout this letter, Paul is constantly focused on the church at Philippi. He instructs them. He encourages them. He's the one suffering. He's the one in prison. But he doesn't really talk a lot about the hardships of his imprisonment. Instead, he's focused on others. And you know this, right? There's something about focusing your life on other people, investing. You, you see, we can live one of two ways. On one hand, we can live to get, right? And when you live to get, it often makes you miserable. But on the other hand, you can live to give. And when you live to give, there's something about living to give that induces joy in your life. Jesus first, others focused, yourself last. Again, what we don't see in this letter is Paul talking a lot about himself. In fact, we'll see it in a couple of weeks, Philippians 2, 3, where Paul says, you know what? Don't have any selfish ambition in your heart, but count others as more significant than yourself. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me that there really is joy 
When you have partnerships, unwavering partnerships where Jesus is first, where you're other focused, and where you place yourself last. I mean, I promise you, I guarantee you, if you live that way, you're going to find joy in your life, regardless of your circumstances. When Jesus is first, when you're other focused, and you put yourself last. And so Paul starts off this letter by, by saying, listen, I've chosen joy by having an unwavering partnership with you. We need an unwavering partnership, but we also need, right now watch this, we also need an unchanging promise, an unchanging promise. This is so good. And you probably know this if you're a follower of Jesus. God has no unfinished business. You probably do, right? I know I do. We have lots of unfinished business. I bet there's some of you men that you've started some projects that you have not completed. If you're part of the Northwood family, you, you know that, that over the last month or so, my family has been trying to move houses, and so we've moved to a, a new house. And, and so, so I wanted this weekend to paint, to paint some rooms, right? The boys' bedrooms and a couple bathrooms. And so I got up Friday early, early Friday morning, my day off, and, and I went down to the Lowe's, and I, and I bought gallons of paint, and I bought all the supplies I needed. And just to let you know, I don't paint very often, right? I just don't. Maybe every four or five years, I'll paint a room. And so, so over the last four or five years, I've kind of forgotten the amount of work that goes into a painting, painting a room. Now, that, now, I'm sure there are some of you watching or some of you here on campus that, that painting a room is nothing to you. You can do it in, in 30 minutes and you're done, right? But not me. It takes me a lot of time because I've got to prep the room and I've got to you know, do all the cut-in work and tape it up, and, and it just takes time. And so I, I painted Luke's room on Friday, and it took me six hours to paint one room. I know what you're thinking. I'm terrible, and you're right. I am, but six hours, right? And then yesterday, I painted Hudson's room. And I did a lot better. It didn't take me quite six hours. It took me five and a half hours. Five and a half hours later, I'd painted his room. And so over the course of 11 and a half hours, I painted, count them, two bedrooms. I've got two bathrooms I bought paint for. Guess what? They're not getting painted. Not anytime soon because I'm done with painting right now. You understand? I've got an unfinished project. And, and I bet you there are some of you, you've got some unfinished projects as well. But God does not. I mean, listen to what Paul says. He, he speaks to the church at Philippi, and listen again what he says. He says, um, look at what he says in verse 6, and you probably know this verse. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. An unchanging promise. Listen to what Paul says. I am sure of this. Paul needed to be sure, didn't he? I mean, after all, he was sitting at his home under arrest. Roman guards chained him every single day. He needed some assurance that this was not for nothing. And think about the church at Philippi. In that Roman colony, they were beginning to experience some persecution for their faith. They needed to be sure, right, that it was worth it to follow Jesus. And so Paul says, I am sure. I am sure of this. I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now, I need you to understand what Paul's saying. Paul's writing this to a church. Paul's making this promise to a church. 
Now, this promise certainly applies to us individually, doesn't it? That you can be sure in your own life that what God has started in you, he's going to finish it. But Paul writes this not to individuals. He writes this to a body of people, a fellowship, a church. And he says, church at Philippi, I am sure, I am sure of this, that the one who began a good work in the church at Philippi is going to be faithful to complete it. Can I be honest with you? This COVID-19 crisis, it has been, hasn't it? It's been discouraging. And if I'm really honest with you, it's been discouraging for me as a pastor here at Northwood. Do you know why? Because I think back at the beginning of the year, right? And if you're a part of the Northwood family, you were here with me at the beginning of the year. We had plans. We had a vision for what we wanted God to accomplish in 2020. We, we wanted to see, right? A number of people come to faith in Jesus Christ and baptize in our church. We, we cast a, a vision for that. We, we had a dream for that to happen. We wanted to see our building paid off. We wanted to be debt-free in a couple of years. We were thinking about our 50th anniversary and all the different ways we were going to celebrate our 50th anniversary this year. And then COVID-19 happened. For a month now, we haven't been able to meet together on campus. We're having to do a worship service in a parking lot or, or via a live stream. I mean, all the plans that, that I had, all the plans that we had, they seem to have placed on the back burner because of this crisis. But can you listen with me to verse 6 again? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work at Northwood is faithful to complete it. He who began a good work at this church, at the church down the street, at the church across the country, he who began a good work in his church is faithful to complete it. And so I need you to understand this because I think this is really important. Everything around us has changed, right? I mean, you're driving up in a car or, or you're watching online. That's not the way we normally meet. Everything's changed. You've got to put a mask on to go to a grocery store. I mean, just think of all the different things that have changed over the course of a month. Many of us working from home now. Our kids are at home all the time now, not going to school. Some of us have lost our jobs. Everything has changed. But listen to this. Everything has changed but nothing has changed. What I mean by that is that while everything around us has changed, God is still good. God is still faithful. And his plan for his church has not changed. You, you understand what I'm saying? That, that we can continue on. The mission of God in this time has not changed. And for those of us who are part of this church, think about it. We spent weeks training to be better evangelists, better in sharing the faith. That hasn't changed. That calling that God has placed on your life, just because COVID-19 has happened, that has not changed. That vision that God has given our church, it has not changed. Everything has changed, but the reality is nothing has changed. Because we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We serve a God who has begun a good work in us here at Northwood and is faithful now to complete it. And so what I need from you and what you need from me is simply this. Keep on doing what you know to do. 
right? If nothing has changed, keep on doing what you know to do. Keep on being faithful in your time with the Lord. Keep on being faithful in the ministry that God has called you to. Keep on being faithful to invest in other people for the sake of the gospel. Keep on being faithful to serve the church to the best of your ability, even in this time. Keep on being faithful. Keep on doing what you know to do. And aren't you thankful? Now, now this, this will blow your mind. Paul was isolated. Paul was quarantined. But you know what he did? He kept on doing what he needed to do. You know how I know that? Because you're reading his letter some 2,000 years later. I mean, think about it. If Paul would have given up while he was in prison, if Paul would have had a pity party while he was in prison, we wouldn't have most of our New Testament. Because many of these letters that he wrote in the New Testament were written while he was in prison. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, they were written while he was in prison. He kept on doing what he knew how to do. Now, not only do I need you to keep on doing what you know to do, I need you to keep on doing what you know to do with even more focus, right? Because let's be honest, right now, there is such a temptation to give up. There's such a temptation to be distracted. There's such a temptation to take our eyes off the work that God has called us to. But my friend, when you realize, when you realize the unchanging promise of God, that he who began a good work in you, in our church, is faithful to complete it, it induces within us joy, a joy that compels us to keep on doing what we know to do. Do you see? You can choose joy. You can choose joy by continuing to live in an unwavering partnership with the family of God. You can choose joy by clinging to that unchanging promise of God. And finally, you can choose joy when you realize that you need an unstoppable passion. Let me show you a couple more things and we'll be done. You come down and you, you see what Paul says here. Verse 6, he talks about how he is sure of the promise of God. And then look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. With the affection of Christ Jesus, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so you may approve what is excellent, so you may walk in the righteousness of Christ. I can't help but think that when Paul wrote these words, he was thinking about people. And faces began to pop in his mind. I bet you that when he was writing these words that we just read, Lydia's face popped into his mind. That first convert in Philippi. Or maybe that slave girl. That girl that he cast a demon out of. I bet you her face popped into his mind. Or that Philippian jailer. And how Paul saw that Philippian jailer gloriously saved by the power of Jesus Christ, he and his whole family. I bet you that when, when Paul writes these words, those faces of people that he loves pop into his mind. And you, you read what he says, so I yearn for you. You know what he was saying? He was saying the same thing that we're all saying right now. For those of us who are part of a church like this, he was saying, I miss you. I miss your face. I miss hugging your neck. 
I miss shaking your hand. I miss cutting up with you. I miss doing ministry with you. I, I miss you. But even though I miss you, it's not going to stop me from ministering to you. I'm writing to you, encouraging you, and I'm praying for you, right? I mean, you see what he says. I'm praying for you right now that, that you'll grow in your faith in spite of our separation, in spite of the distance that we're experiencing, in spite of our circumstances. I, I'm praying that you're going to grow in your faith, that you're going to continue to learn to approve of what is excellent, that you're going to grow in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I miss you. I wish we were together, but I'm not going to stop ministering to you. You see, there's this unstoppable passion that Paul had for the church at Philippi. And you know why he had that unstoppable passion. Because he was consumed. He was consumed with the love of Jesus. Now, now let's be honest. Now come in real close and make sure you understand this. Every one of us, we are consumed by something, right? And the truth is, if you are consumed by anything other than Jesus... That thing you're consumed by is probably going to rob you of your joy. You're consumed with your job. It's going to rob you of your joy. Because you're going to put so many hours in, so much effort, so much work, and it's never going to produce for you the satisfaction you want it to produce. If you're consumed with your family, and family is a gift, but I promise you, your family, as much as you love them, they cannot give you what Jesus can give you. And they'll eventually rob you of your joy if you place all of your hope in your family or your wealth, right? I know you just got your stimulus check, but it's going to run out. If you place your hope in your stimulus check, you're going to find out real quick it's not going to give you much joy. Whatever consumes you will more than likely end up robbing you of your joy. But when you let Jesus consume you, when you let Jesus consume you, he will ignite within you an unstoppable passion for himself, for his kingdom, for his church. And, and when you let Jesus consume you, you will find the kind of joy that Paul has found even in a Roman prison under house arrest. You see what I'm saying? Are you consumed with Jesus? And here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus is consumed with love for you. We just talked about it the last couple weeks. As we celebrated Easter together, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That on the cross, the love of Jesus was demonstrated for you. When he died in your place, because you and I know this, that every single one of us, we're sinners. We've all rebelled against God. We've all chosen our own way. But God chose to love us in spite of our rejection of him. And God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he gave his son Jesus for us. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy, for the joy set before him, Right? For Jesus, joy was giving his life away for us. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. In shame and reproach, he hung on a Roman cross, absorbing the wrath of God, taking the punishment for our sins that we deserve. 
dying in our place, buried in a tomb. And then three days later, rising from the dead, proving once and for all that he was fully God and fully man, who came to rescue us from our sin and give us hope and life abundant and eternal and ultimately to give us joy, inexpressible joy, the joy of knowing that we are in a right relationship with the God of all creation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was consumed with love for you. And now I want to invite you to be consumed with Jesus to make the choice to experience real joy this morning, to make the choice this morning to give your life to the one who died in your place and rose again. This morning, you can experience a joy like you've never experienced before if you'll place your faith in Jesus, if you'll believe that he died in your place and rose again, and if you'll confess your sins to him and turn from those sins, repent, and begin a new way of life, you can experience joy by giving your life to Jesus this morning, the one who was consumed with love for you, the one who changed the life of the Apostle Paul and who's changed my life and so many others, this morning you can experience that joy that Jesus gives. On your screen right now, you should see a text number, a number that you can text right now. And I would encourage you right now, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, to begin a relationship with him, I would encourage you to text Jesus to that number. Text Jesus to that number, and and very shortly, someone will be in contact with you to pray with you and to help you begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. So right now, reach out. Text that number you see on the screen right now, and let us minister to you. Let us help you begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. And for those of us who are watching or those of us who are here on campus, listen, you can walk in joy today. And I know for some of us, it feels like our joy has been robbed from us, but it hasn't been. Not when we realize that we have an unwavering partnership, an unchanging promise, and an unstoppable passion for the God of all creation who has consumed us with his love. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, I know, I know you feel weary, I know you're tired, I know you're stressed, but you can choose joy. And maybe this morning, you just want to make a a renewed commitment to choose the joy that only comes in a relationship with Jesus. I'm praying that will be you this morning, and I'm praying for you in that way. Let me pray for us now, and we're going to sing a couple more songs together, and we'll end our time of worship together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the joy that comes in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, I I pray right now for people who are watching this live stream, who have never experienced the good news, who have never experienced salvation in a relationship with Jesus. I pray that right now, That person would reach out and text that number and seek to begin a relationship with Jesus today. And for those of us who are on campus or watching by live stream, those of us who are followers of yours, your children, Father, help us today in the midst of our circumstances to choose joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the joy giver. You never rob us of joy, but daily you immerse us in your joy. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.